0: Welcome to the TriStar Church podcast. We're so glad that you have tuned in today. My name is Matt Grimes, lead pastor of TriStar Church, and I want to encourage you to like and follow us on social media, as well as subscribe to our podcast. You'll find weekly sermons, midweek deep dives, and more right here every single week. I pray that you're challenged and encouraged as you listen, not just to the words that are spoken, but to the Holy Spirit who is speaking to you through this resource. Now let's dive in. Well, welcome to TriStar Church. We're excited that you are with us this morning. We are going to uh, do a quick break this week from our normal series that we're in, and we're going to do a culture talk, um, and it lines up uh, with what we're doing this evening in our parenting workshop. Uh, but we're going to tackle the issue of gender and sexuality um, in our culture, which is just uh, just. It's everywhere, um, if, if, especially if you're trying to raise kids in this uh, generation, they are faced with it and inundated with it. Um, And so we wanted to take a week and uh, just kind of approach this uh, subject and have a conversation. I've invited uh, Stacey Johnson back. Um, She has spent the last two decades just really uh, working with people, learning uh, how to engage with our culture, but also to disciple people and to grow people in their faith in the midst of cultural issues that they face. Um, And so she brings a uh, a great perspective to this for us that I think is going to be beneficial. But I want to start by saying this. This conversation is not a one-time conversation. In fact, we can't, we're just scratching the surface of, of this issue in the conversation uh, today. And so this is not a one-conversation that addresses everything. Um, and I also want to remind us um, that in all of our conversations around issues like this, uh, we are called to follow Jesus' model, and that is to speak with both grace and truth, and first and foremost, with grace, John 1 reminds us that the Son of Man came, and he made his home with us. He established, he took on flesh, and he lived amongst us, and he uh, embodied both grace and truth, and it's a model for us. And so many in our world and our culture today are grabbing hold of what they call truth, and they are banging it as loud as they can, and they are yelling it as loud as they can in every form and fashion that they can. And if we're not careful as Christians, we'll forget that Jesus called us to speak truth uh, with tons of grace. And so that's what we want to do, especially if you're here and you're listening to something, you're listening to this uh, maybe online and you hear something, know that our perspective is to speak the truth of the gospel of Jesus as clearly as we can with the greatest amount of love and grace uh, and compassion as possible for what people are walking through in their everyday life. So, Stacey, would you come? I'm going to pray for us. And we will dive in. God, we thank you for uh, your word that guides us and it directs us. Uh, it gives us wisdom in how we're to navigate our life and what we should and shouldn't do. I pray that we, as we talk about the sensitive subject today, I pray that we would have your eyes to see the truth. And I pray that as we engage neighbors, friends, coworkers who are walking through this and dealing this with uh, real life, Father, would we do so with tons of compassion great empathy and love and grace and mercy for them, Father. Would you speak to us this morning? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, Matt. Um, It is really good to be here. I was here just a little, uh, I don't know, a few months ago. Is that it, Matt? Yeah. And so Matt always throws the the low-level conversations to me, right? (laughs) Uh, The really easy stuff. So let me tell you about And I change names whenever I talk about people, but let me tell you about Anna, who came to see me not long ago. She, we sit down, we have coffee. She is a young adult woman in her late 20s, single and close to her family, siblings, parents. She wants to talk to me because in the last few months, all of her siblings have started talking about either their transition or their coming out. So she's got some, uh, one sibling transitioning from male to female and looking at surgical options. And then she's got a couple of other siblings that have all come out in their sexual orientation. And so what's happened is, you can imagine, it has impacted the whole family. And so Anna sits with me, and she tells me, that her family has come to her and said that if she can't be supportive publicly, they are going to kick her out of the family. This includes her parents. Anna is the only Christian in her family, and this is what she said. She said, my family will kick me out of their lives if I don't openly support them. So here she is. We're sitting together, and she faces two what feels like really big threats to her, and you can imagine these. And some of you, I think, probably already are facing them. There are very few people I talk to that don't face these issues right now. On the one hand, she really loves her family. And she loves her siblings, she loves her parents, and she understands that they want to feel supported by her because they don't really have a concept of, how can you say you love me and not support me? That, that kind of intuitively even feels right that they would feel that way. But then on the other hand, so she, she's got this threat of losing her family, which, by the way, in her older 20s as a single woman, this is the only family she has. It's not like she's building her own with, you know, a husband and kids and all that. This is, this is a huge threat to her personally, down deep and then on the other hand she's also a christian she wants to follow jesus she wants to love him she wants to reflect him well and so she feels this moment of am i being faithful like i, I and this is what she told me she said i have words in my head like sin good bad um, but i don't I, I don't really know that I'm putting it together well enough to talk to my family, and I, I don't feel like I'm doing a good job representing Jesus to my family and to really, to her credit, she was really great. She said, You know, Stacey, I can lose everything as long as I don't lose Jesus. And so this felt also like a threat to her faith, a very heavy threat to her faith, and a challenge. and so We talked about how moments like these are actually not a threat to your faith. They're an invitation to thicken it. And that helped a bit, and we kind of moved on from there. So what I'd like to do this morning is talk a little bit about the two things that Anna needs. See, in this moment, Anna needs to be able to do two things. The first thing she needs to be able to do is understand the world of her family. She needs to understand the world that they're living in so that she can connect with them and love them well. But then the other thing she needs is she also needs to understand her own faith in a deeper way. She wants to walk in biblical truth, but she's not sure what that looks like, and she's not even sure that she has a full picture of gender and sexuality to be able to navigate these things faithfully. And I get this. I sit with her and I go, yep, we're all right there together. We're all right there with you. And so what I'd like to do in the next 30 minutes, now that that should be a little bit like, wait, 30 minutes. There is no way, and Matt was right, there's no way to do justice to this entire topic with all of its complexity and nuances and places in people's hearts and souls to really do justice to this in 30 minutes. What we're gonna do is lay a little bit of the groundwork for some clarity because this is the first of many, 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 many more conversations, which is why tonight, this afternoon, it's also filed, followed up with some things for parents. But what I'm gonna do is start with what is our current cultural understanding of gender and sexuality, and then give you just three basic biblical principles that will help you as you navigate this. Now, if you were here when I was here a few months ago, two of those principles are gonna sound familiar because funny enough, biblical principles apply to more than one thing. And so we're going to unpack some of those. So let's just start with culture. Whenever we look at the current culture, we have to look at people asking the same questions you and I ask. And the question that people are asking right now is, who am I? Now, it seems pretty basic. We don't actually sit around and talk about that normally. I don't you know, hang out with my friends or go to dinner with my friends and say, who's struggling with their identity and who they are, right? But these are the questions that are coming to the surface. Because no matter who you are, you have to answer that question. You have to be able to answer the question, who am I? And there are two ways that you can answer this question. The first way is you can ask the question, who am I, and then look for a fixed point of reference to tell you the answer to that question. So um, as an analogy, has anyone here ever been in a stoplight and you've got your foot on the brake and the car next to you starts to move? And for half a second, you don't know, am I moving or are they moving? Right? It's very disorienting. You don't really know for a second. So what do you do? Well, this is what I do. I put my foot on the brake and I push harder. And then I look out my window and I don't look at the car moving. That's just even more disorienting. I need to know where I am. And so what I do is I put my foot on the brake and I look out the window and I look for a fixed object, like a tree or a building. And it tells me if I'm moving or not. Like if I look at the tree and the tree is moving, I'm moving. If I look at the tree and the tree is not moving, I'm fine. I'm at the stop sign. I'm not about to get in a wreck. And it all happens in about two seconds and we do it very naturally. It's like being at a theme park and finding the map and saying, you are here. That's a fixed point of reference. That's me referring to a point to get my orientation in the world. Who am I? Fixed point of reference to answer that question. The other way to do this is you cannot use a fixed point of reference. You can use a self-referring way to answer that question. Who am I? I look in me, I refer to me. And actually, that is where all evidence is pointing right now. We are as a culture. Culturally, to answer the most basic questions we have, who am I? Where do I belong? What's my purpose in life? Three deep longings that all the research is telling us are the three big questions people are asking right now. And they're so deep, deep in us that we probably don't even word them that way. But we ask these questions, and the primary method for doing that in our culture today is self-referential. And so my favorite person to kind of unpack some of this, if you want to go read a book on the whole thing, you can read the book Strange New World by Carl Truman that just came out. And he kind of walks through historically kind of how we got here. But this is what he says, and it's very helpful. He says, a society's understanding of the notion of the self, right? That's, That's you. Who am I? what am I like, what am I made for, why am I here? The self has broad implications for the cultural, moral, and political spheres. The modern notion of the self, which can be called expressive individualism, to use Robert Bella's term, lies at the heart of our current cultural conflicts, including abortion, pornography, the ethics of life and death, radical racial politics, freedom of speech, and freedom of religion. Expressive individualism holds that human beings are defined by their inner psychological core, their individual psychological core, and that the purpose of life is allowing that core to find social expression in relationships. Anything that challenges it is deemed oppressive. So this is what, this is what Truman is saying. He's saying as we seek as a culture and as a community, whether you're here in Knoxville or you're in another state or you're anywhere else in mostly the Western world, the predominant view is that in order to know myself, I look at myself and that my core psychology, which is my story, how I've interpreted my story, my longings, my desires, what I want, what I feel, That is where I get my sense of myself. And not only that, to be a fully flourishing self, to really be happy, to be joyful, and to be completely fulfilled as a self and as an individual, I need to have social expression of that. Which means that it's not just a self in me. It's got to make its way out. So now I begin to understand why Anna's siblings, it's not just about whether or not their their inner core, their self, their identity is in them. It's about whether or not Anna, as a sister, is going to help them express it socially. Does that make sense? And if she doesn't, this this feels very unloving and this feels oppressive because this is myself. This is my inside. Because this is our culture's way of understanding the self, self self-referential. This is my my reference point. And so now Anna can begin to understand why this feels so mean to her siblings. If she has any disagreement at all about either their assessment of themselves or the way they express it. Broadly in culture, so I have a friend who um, is a professor out at UT. And so this past summer, he went through some trainings through the HR department. And one of the trainings he went through was the training on safe spaces. How do we provide safe spaces for our students? Because our students now have a core, an inner self. And that inner self needs to have safe space to get expressed. So how do we do that? In his training, they talk specifically about gender and sexuality. And he sent this to me. This is the gender unicorn. He sent this to me because he and I had discussed this about a year before, and it showed up in his training. This is the current cultural understanding of sexuality. You can find this online pretty easily. All you got to do is Google gender unicorn, and there's like a million of them. The reason is because when you take expressive individualism, That culturally, we're in a moment where myself needs to get expressed, and it's all internal. This is now expressive individualism applied to sexuality. Expressive individualism, as we talked about with Carl Truman, it can be applied to a lot of things, but this is it applied to to sexuality. Now, notice something here. A couple of things. If you get concerned, if you're a believer in this room and you are closer to my age or older and you start hearing words like gender identity, expression, sex assigned at birth, physically attracted to, emotionally attracted to, orientation, and you feel a little disoriented, like you don't know what all that means, this is what it means. This is kind of the interpretation. And so what you'll notice is that gender identity, those arrows, they're not fixed points. So... What, um, what students are now being taught, and in some states this is, this, is, this is included now in the comprehensive sex education that is starting to kind of make its way into high school, middle school, and some elementary schools. What they're being taught is my inner self, my gender identity is gonna be somewhere along a spectrum line based on how I'm, self, how I'm looking inside of me and looking at all of these things. There is a fixed point category here, actually. We talk about two methods, self-referring and fixed point. There is a fixed point method. That fixed point is sex assigned at birth. So what that means is when my daughter, Gracie, was born, we looked at her, me and my husband and the doctor, and we looked at her and we said, she is a girl. She's a female and she was assigned that sex at birth. And that is an external, a fixed point of reference. That fixed point is what we declared in the hospital room. She was born at a hospital, right? The others are self-referring methods. So you kind of have the representation of both here. And so the question becomes, okay, how, how do we look at this? You know, I, my friend Anna, she's looking at it and she's like, there's something about this that feels wrong to me. And as a Christian, she looks at that and she says, okay, so, so the Bible tells me that God made male and female. And the Bible tells me that he made marriage and all these things. And so something about this feels wrong. That's the category in her head. But she doesn't know how to give it away. And so the first thing we start talking about is, well, Anna, even if I weren't a Christian, is this a good idea? So let's do that for a minute. You know, even if I were not a Christian, even if I did not believe the Bible at all, there are three deep concerns I have with this model of sexuality and gender for me and my daughter and our community. The first concern I have is that my inner self is incredibly confusing. I mean, think about this for a minute. All of your longings and all of your desires is very confusing. I never have just one longing or desire at a time. I never have just one. They kind of come in clusters. So I come home from work. I've had a really hard day. And I find within me a desire to go for a walk. And I find within me a desire to take a nap. And then I find within me what C.S. Lewis calls this third desire, which it has to somehow make sense of whether I should choose the first or the second one. Like we're already up to three. Our inner longings, our inner desires, our inner understanding of ourselves is very confusing. Y'all, I've tried, this, this is why there is no personality test that works perfectly. This is why we have gone from the Myers-Briggs, well, I don't know, there's more than that, the DISC, what are they the myers briggs were you know the enneagram took off for a while like that's why personality tests strengths finders with its 53 different i think it's 53 i'm probably wrong but that's why nothing works quite perfectly because inside of myself are even different conceptions of who i am right am i a strong independent woman am I a... a a more mild personality, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it's just the day you catch me, and sometimes I'm both, a lot of times I'm both. Our inner selves can be very confusing. The second concern I have for this is my inner self is incredibly shifting. What that means is my, and again, even if I were not a Christian, I I do not think of my identity today the same way I did when I was 10. When I was 30, when I was 40, ask me again when I'm 70. Who am I? Without a fixed point of reference, if it's just my inner self, it's incredibly shifting and it's just not the same. And right now we're actually seeing this rapid rate of people detransitioning because they're coming back and they're saying, I made this decision when I was 14 I'm 24 what's happened it's because our inner self is shifting all the time and then finally my my final concern is that our inner self is incredibly self-destructive so my doctor tells me I should avoid three things fast fried and fatty foods now y'all I like a good salad, but I also like a good plate of bacon, right? I I, I love bacon. I just do. My inner self, and there's never been a time in my life I didn't love bacon, but my inner self is very self-destructive. We make choices all the time that are not good for us. And if you don't know that, come to me. I've got lots of stories about my own life. The way I conceive of myself can be incredibly self-destructive. And the only reason I think differently about this, like I don't go sit with my doctor and say, yeah, but Craig, like I know that you're telling me that this should be my diet, but Craig, you know, I'm, that's not me. That's just not who I am. Why do I not do that? Why do I not sit with my doctor and say, Healthy eating is just not me because I believe something about the human body that I can't escape even if I want to. Because I believe something about the human body, and I'm talking to a doctor who believes something about the human body, that physical health looks this way. We have a fixed point of reference. Me and my doctor both believe that physical health looks like not having high blood pressure. And we believe that. We have a fixed point of reference. But but if I am not now dealing with my physical body, but I'm dealing with myself, my immaterial, my psychology, my soul, my mind, and my heart, I can be equally as destructive on that as I can be on my body. And so now the point is, is it loving? Is it loving for me not to have these concerns for my friend or for Anna to have these concerns about her siblings? The loving thing for Anna to do is to be with her siblings, accept them exactly where they are, love them well, but also bring these kinds of concerns for them. We are called to be truthful, but we are also able to be winsome and wise. Because the truth of God is not just true, although it is. It's also incredibly better. The the damage that we are seeing in our culture by the amount of confusion and the confusion that is being created in our hearts and our minds and in the hearts and minds of our kids are actually inescapable now. We kind of all see it. But we need another way. And so I want to share three biblical principles for you. And notice, I've not talked about a scripture yet. That's on purpose. Because I need to be able to sit down with Anna's siblings and talk to them and love them and and have a conversation about some of my concerns and what I think love is without opening the Bible right away. Now, we cannot do this without scripture. But it's helpful to us as believers to be able to sit with people and understand the world that they're in and bring wisdom and winsomeness to that moment okay but let's go over some of the biblical principles so i'm going to talk about three two of these are going to be familiar to you if you were here a few months ago we talked about abortion a few months ago and the biblical principles still apply although i didn't call them this And so the first one is what I call the ownership principle. The ownership principle is that as creator, God rightly has authority over everything and everyone. And let me make a comment. We do not like the word authority. There's a reason for that. If expressive individualism is the way we understand ourselves as a culture... And we, f- and we feel like as a culture that as I try to express myself, if you come back at me, you're being oppressive, then any kind of authority is going to be seen as oppressive. And I see this in parenting. I find even within myself a tendency to wonder what kind of boundaries do I put for my child and what kind should she learn to express who she is in the world and give her the margin to be who she's created to be. Right this is this is a this, this this is like a a a conundrum sometimes for parents. But I didn't create my daughter. God did. And so the biblical principle of ownership is that as creator, God ultimately has authority over everything and everyone that he creates. This, by the way, was the foundation of the abolitionist movement, starting with um, William Wilberforce and making its way, far too long it took, making its way into where we are now and even some places still need to go. God created my neighbor. I did not. I don't own them. People can't be owned as property. That is a distinctly Christian idea. It comes out of the notion that God created us in his image, Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God, as creator, put his precious image in you and me and my neighbor, and I am never allowed to own someone else as property. But what that also means is that people don't belong to me, but they do belong to God. And so in Psalm 51, we have David saying this, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. So what's he talking about there? He's talking about the episode with Bathsheba, And he's talking about his sin with Bathsheba and that he killed Bathsheba's husband to try and get away with it. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Against God only did he sin? He killed Uriah. Why is that primarily a sin against God? Because God owned Uriah. Because God created Uriah. Proverbs 14.31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. So the biblical principle of the creator is that I don't even own myself, and his authority ranges over me. That's the first piece. He becomes the fixed point. He is the fixed point of reference. His creation and how he makes the world is his fixed point of reference. The second principle is the purpose principle. So, again, this is one that you might recognize from last time. The purpose principle says we don't know what to do with something until we know what it is and what it's made for. My daughter came to me the other day, and she said, Mommy, so-and-so at school told me that two boys can be married. She's nine. And so I find, okay, I'm in this moment. What do I say to her? And so there's a lot of ways I could go with this. I could go with Genesis. I can go with a conversation around sexuality. But here's the first place I start with her. I tell her, Gracie, do you remember the conversation we had about your vitamins? And so I've told this story a couple of times. Your vitamins, she likes to take her, the gummy vitamins, they taste like candy. And she would take a whole handful if she could. And so when we talk about an issue like this, I said, Sweetie, why don't you take a whole handful of vitamins in the morning? Well, because they're vitamins. Sweetie, they're gummies. They taste really sweet. They're candy. Just take a whole handful. But, Mommy, they're vitamins. I know, but they taste good, and they taste like candy. Sweetie, what would happen if you took a whole handful? Mommy, I'd get sick. What happens if someone else takes a handful? Mommy, they get sick. Okay, Gracie, here's something you need to remember. You don't know what to do with something until you know what it is and what it's made for. Y'all, we don't know what to do with ourselves unless we know who made us and what he made us for. We don't know what to do with marriage unless we know who made it and what he made it for. Unless we know what something is. If I use my laptop as a coaster, I'm going to damage the laptop. We don't know what to do with something until we know what it is and what it's made for. Again, fixed point. That's why the longings of things like, where do I belong? What's my purpose? I can't know my purpose until I know what I'm made for. I can't actually enjoy that purpose until I know what I'm made for. The third biblical principle here, oh, Ephesians 2.10. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, made, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Made for what? For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are made for reasons and for purposes. And we don't really find our full expression of joy till we know what those are and we learn how to live them out. And so the third principle, the third biblical principle here is the new one. It's the plumb line principle. Does anybody here know what a plumb line is? I can actually see you. Like you do? Okay. So a plumb line, for those of you who don't know, is a long string with a heavy bob at the bottom, a heavy, heavy weight, and it's using contract work. And you walk up to something, and I got one one time. I actually can't find it because I just moved offices, so I can't find my plumb line. I was going to bring it. But when I first got it from Lowe's, Gracie and I walked around the house to see if the walls were straight. Don't do that. It's incredibly discouraging. And so her and I have this long stick with this heavy silver bob, and we start walking around the house going, oh, is that angle straight? And you put it up, and this is a straight line. No matter which way, there's a straight line. And as soon as you hang it up, you go, uh, it's not straight. Now, G.K. Chesterton once said that there's a million ways to fall down. There's only one way to stand up straight. Like, there's a million ways that my house is out of angles, and it's really out of angles. There's a million ways that some of those walls that should be a little straight are not, and I don't know that, but there's only one way for that wall to be straight, and it's when I hold up that plumb line and it just falls center. The plumb line principle, and this is probably the one in Anna's life that is going to be most critical. The plumb line principle is that clarity and freedom require a fixed reference point. Remember the two methods, self-reference or fixed reference? The plumb line principle is that in order to have clarity in life, And in order to have freedom in life, you need that frame of reference. Now, why would I say freedom? Clarity kind of is is that it goes against that inner working of self-referential. Remember, my concerns were things like confusion. My inner inner self is confusing. It is shifting, right? The minute there's a fixed point, Stacy, you are created, You, one of the first gifts God ever gave me was my, was being female. It's one of the first gifts he ever gave me. So here you are, you are female. There's a lot of other things I don't get to choose. The age, I'm 48, I color my hair. I don't want to look 48, but I'm 48, I don't get to choose that. So a lot of things I don't get to choose about how I'm created. And so we can see how it gives us clarity But why then do I say freedom? Why isn't that suffocating to me? Like you have to be your age and female and this way. Why doesn't that feel suffocating? Because with clarity comes now the freedom to ask what kind of female I wanna be, what kind of mom I wanna be, what kind of 48 year old I wanna be, What kind of feisty Cajun I want to be, which is my ethnicity. I'm from New Orleans. I've got feisty Cajun in me. What kind do I want to be? Because now that I can have some of those questions answered, now I can start asking the right ones. I can start asking questions about, okay, Lord, what kind of marriage should my husband and I have? And, y'all, there's a lot more margin, I believe, and a lot more conversation to be had in those questions because we do have stereotypes of all that. Our culture does have stereotypes of what I should look like and behave as as a Christian woman in my 40s with children in West Knoxville and an SUV. Like, there's a stereotype I should fit. And so... Those stereotypes are not given to me, by the way, by scripture. That is so much more of the conversation we need to be having. But part of that is because the clarity has given me freedom to not stress about that question anymore so I can go over here and ask the right question. And we've got it backward right now as a culture, which is why we feel so confused. Anna does not want confusion for her family, she should not want confusion. So how do we walk through this? Matt said it, we walk with grace and truth. We do what Jesus did. And he walked into spaces and he loved people well. And and you start looking at how he did this. And he always brought the winsome expression of the kingdom. We start by helping people to see why it's not loving to accept this cultural model. It's, it, 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 is, it is showing itself disastrous. Catch me later if you want more on that. But walking people out of something is one thing. Walking people into the better picture is different. And then giving people permission to ask the questions that really need to be asked. Like, how do I express all those things? And what I have found in my own journey is that the more I let God define what things are, the more joy I have in learning to express them in the way I was created to express them. So I want to end with Philippians 4. Finally, brothers, whatever is true. See, fixed point tells me what's true. It's so confusing. If I have to figure out this whole list on my own, self-referring, I have have almost no framework from even where to find joy in life. Let the Lord be the fixed reference so then I can actually go and live in it. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable. Uh, Left up to my own devices, it's really hard for me to know what's honorable. Whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, don't you find it hard today to figure out what's lovely and what's not? Whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul admonishes us and encourages us to think about those things. God has given us descriptions of those things. If I had all morning, I would just give you all the verses for all of them. This is what's lovely. There's a list. This is what's honorable. There's a list. This is what's true. There's a list. He's given us all of these descriptions so that we can know what they are, so that we can actually enjoy living in them. But we're getting stuck in not being able to enjoy living in them because we've rejected the notion that there is even a fixed point. And so Anna is going to do two things. She's going to love her siblings very well. She's going to be very patient. They're not projects. They're not things to be fixed. And she as a Christian is as much an enigma to them because they don't understand how she can find freedom in authority, in a created order, and in a fixed point. To them it feels suffocating. But what Anna knows is that there's actually freedom. And that's going to be the very, very long journey of her relationships. And always in love. Matt, you want to come up? And we're going to end here because, again, beginning of a conversation.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you live in the greater Knoxville area, we would love for you to join us for a worship gathering. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. For directions and more information, please visit www.tristarknox.org. Lastly, resources like this one are made possible by the financial support and generosity of people just like you. If you would like more information on supporting TriStar Church, please visit our website, or you can text the word GIVE to 865-240-0353 and follow the prompts. Your generosity and support will empower us to continue to partner with believers equipping them to make disciples by living out the gospel in the places they live, work, and play. Grace and peace.